0: It is my pleasure to welcome back Spec as the presenting sponsor of Fraudology this quarter. Stay tuned for more information and updates on their product capabilities, or click the link in the episode description to request your personal demo of Trust TrustCloud platform. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm really glad that you are joining me for this conversation, my most recent conversation with my dear friend, Diana Gajic-Physic, who is the head of e-commerce fraud for JD Sports North America, also known as Finish Line or previously known as Finish Line. There's been several articles shared over the last few months about something called sneaker bots, and that's kind of the colloquial term for it. But really they're purchasing bots or scripts for purchasing from websites that oftentimes are targeting retailers that have drops or launches or even items that are high demand but limited supply. So if you think about everything from a artist collaboration on Instagram and them having a drop on a specific time, a drop of 500 items for sale. Or you think about sneakers, obviously, right? A lot of times they'll have a launch of a specific type of sneaker and each retailer that sells that brand has a specific number to sell. And oftentimes they sell out in minutes. These are things that are highly competitive and especially with two-sided marketplaces specializing in reselling items such as sneakers and collectibles. There's also two-sided marketplaces for luxury goods and branded items, that kind of thing, whether it's handbags or accessories or clothes. And so because of these two-sided marketplaces, that gives an even better advantage for people to oftentimes 10x, 5x their investment in that item. So it creates higher demand, which creates people wanting a competitive advantage. And especially over the last two years, and you'll hear from Diana what she believes a lot of the reasons are, and I think she's absolutely right, she's studied this a lot more than I have, from COVID and just the impact of the popularity of these items. And in speaking with several different types of retailers, I've started to notice over the last few months that many other retailers are experiencing these and they don't have the familiarity of these purchasing bots as Diana and other people who are on the sneaker side, on the retailer side, not necessarily the buyer and seller marketplaces, but those that are selling the sneakers, either in partnership with the brand or they are the brand. And so I thought that this would be a really valuable conversation for everyone who listens to this podcast to hear. And I share a little anecdote from a recent uh, retailer collaboration call that I hosted where this became very timely and Diana really saved the day and cracked the case. And that made me think I need to have her on again on Fraudology. And I think I would like to continue to have her on on a fairly regular basis, as long as she's willing to provide me with a little time, which I really appreciate from her. She's very busy and Mm -hmm. very smart and uh, rightfully so that she's busy because a lot of people uh, reach out to her for information and advice within the retailer community because she's been doing this a long time and she's brilliant. So clearly I can talk a lot about how great my friend is, but on this episode, you'll hear us talk about what are sneaker bots. Why do they matter? Do they often lead to chargebacks or are there other issues and and reasons why merchants should be looking at them? I also want to share that we're really looking at this from an operational perspective, not a technical perspective. We're not in cybersecurity. I firmly believe that fraud mitigation is a form of cybersecurity and we're preventing cybercrime. But oftentimes front end uh, InfoSec will work on bot detection from a technical sense. But there's a lot of things that if they do get through the purchase path, which often they do because of the newer techniques that they're often deploying to try to go undetected then the fraud team sees them and it's really not as easy to spot orders from these types of services as it used to be because that's the whole name of the game right they're trying to be undetected so that is why we are talking about this today and i think you'll find it really interesting whether you have this problem now you don't realize you have it or you don't have it now but maybe you're considering going somewhere else or maybe you will soon there are a lot of companies adding several product lines this year. So anyway, I think this is just a great episode to hear from a merchant about what they're doing to try to stop people from abusing their policy and just how important it is to make the customer experience unique. So with that, I am going to let you listen in on my most recent conversation with Diana Gogic-Physic, and I hope you enjoy. Diana, thank you so much for coming back to Fraudology, this time to talk about sneaker bots. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you were, not surprisingly, you were a popular guest when you stopped by last month to talk about working with other departments and demonstrating your value to leadership. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but this topic came up on our retailer call and I thought, well, who better to talk about this at Fraudology than you because you've kind of become the foremost expert on these type of bots, specifically from a fraud operational perspective that I know of, primarily because of you know who you're working for now, but also just within the industry, it's not just impacting retailers that sell shoes anymore. So that's why I thought this would be really important and informative for our listeners.
1: Yes, it's definitely something that it's seen more in different industries other than sneakers. So it's coming up on many different conversations right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, and you're the one that people are talking to because they know. I mean, the reason why it's called sneaker bots is because that's where it started. Where it started, yes.
1: Yeah, and no, to say I mean, actual ticketing. Probably, I was just gonna say before, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So, event ticketing. We've had people from Ticketmaster and and Paciolan on the podcast before, and they definitely have seen them too. But I actually think that the majority of bots for event ticketing are a little bit different than what you see in some ways a lot of times they're more used by brokers they're more used in event ticketing they're more used by professional resellers than they are the everyday person
1: yes and also a sneakers resale is not illegal reselling tickets if you're not official resellers isn't that illegal i'm not 100 sure but i know it shouldn't be done so maybe they were not bragging so much like sneaker bot users are bragging everywhere on twitter Mm. and instagram and creating videos on youtube and so on so i think that's why sneaker bots are maybe just a little bit more popular
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that obviously now reselling your own tickets is, is not in the U S but I know there are some, some laws around that in the U S to your point. So makes sense. Well, let's dive in. Let's kind of start with an easy question just to kind of level set for everyone listening. How do you define sneaker bots
1: in the beginning? We are more looking at these bots activities from the operational standpoint. So yeah. as probably everyone know, you can Google it. It's a software, it's a script that is actually looking to make the purchase extremely fast. And it's usually targeting multiple product of the limited quantity that has high resale value. So these are software that are actually helping you make that purchase really fast and obtain as many pairs of shoes as you want. We look at them more from the operational point of view, like I said, and we are looking for abuse of our policy more than just the bot behavior. Of course, during the launch of the new event, this bot behavior very closely aligns with the abuse of our policy, which is typically limited quantity per customer. So we would identify them as someone who is abusing our internal policy of the limited purchases.
0: That's helpful. And we'll go into a lot more of the, a lot more of the features of what you, how you can identify, you know, a bot purchase from a a typical person purchase. And it's not just the timing, like a lot of people think. So, but I first kind of want to know, do you remember when you first started seeing orders placed by these and how did, how did you determine that that's what this was? I actually started seeing this as soon as I joined
1: FinishLine mm. and as soon as I started monitoring purchases and these launch events, the new product launch events. It was, interestingly enough, impacting my KPIs, my performance. So it was really interesting that every time there was a launch, my decline rate would start spiking up. And this was Some time ago, six years ago, we were still working very closely with our fraud screening uh, vendor to make sure that our approval rate is where it's supposed to be uh, or we wanted it to be But these events were always driving the approval rate down, and I, I didn't understand why not. So, of course, naturally, you pull up all of the declines, you try to do the analysis, try to understand what's happening. And to me, this looked like either fraud ring or some type of fraud attack, because you have a single person attempting multiple purchases. And back then, I don't think they were sophisticated as much, so all of the information would pretty much remain the same. And then naturally, as uh, as curious as I am, I'm trying to understand how are they placing these orders this fast? How come they're using all of this information and getting through the authorization process this fast? First, I thought maybe multiple people are sitting somewhere like those phone farms and just placing orders. But of course it wasn't that. So I worked with our department that is actually in charge of bot detection uh, vendor that has a relationship with bot detection vendor. And talking to them, we just noticed that the spike in the bot activity on their end aligns with the decline spike on my end. And of course, it was pretty easy conclusion that this is probably driven by the bot activity. So we just work very closely with them to identify when this is happening, how this is happening. And of course, we started coming up with this whole strategy of how to mitigate these risks.
0: So this is kind of what I was, I mentioned it a minute ago, but when we had our biweekly retailer group, a call a few weeks ago. One of the retailers that is, they sell a lot of different types of merchandise, but they do have some high demand, limited supply electronics. And they were starting to see on some of these items that they have on their back end this very odd activity. And they had emailed me about it first. And they said, we've narrowed it down to these three bins and we can't figure out, What these bins are, because when we look on Google and I mean, I've talked about bin data several months ago on a solo podcast and how important it is, but how challenging it can be to get because Visa and MasterCard don't typically want merchants to have it for their own reasons. So they were looking on Google and couldn't figure out exactly what the banks were. So they thought this was they they just couldn't figure out what it was. And it, it was on orders that were limited supply and they were in bulk, but they couldn't find chargebacks associated necessarily, but they knew it was risky, very similar to what you're saying, right? It looks like a fraud ring, but they couldn't figure out. So they had emailed me about that first. And I said, let's bring it up to the group. They brought it up to the group and you started keying in and asking a few questions. And based on those questions, you solved the mystery for this very large (laughs) retailer and the other retailers that are on the call. Not surprisingly, this is something you and I both love to do on those calls is hear people's problems and then try to diagnose it quickly. It's just a fun, it's fun for us. Problem solving nature, isn't it? That is exactly (laughs) it. Yeah. It's our form of a jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And now they've, they have this understanding of what the problem is so that they can go internally in their company and say, hey, we're now being targeted by these sneaker bots, even though we don't sell sneakers. And so we need to create a strategy around this you really cracked the case. And that was when, and there were a lot of retailers that just had no idea how to identify these. Why would they, they haven't been dealing with them for six years, you know? So I guess that leads to my question of what are some ways that an online business would recognize that bots are placing orders on their site? And I have to say that was actually a very interesting call
1: because even I, at the beginning, when we started sharing information and when they were starting to give details about this, even I focused on that BIN number. Yeah. As she was talking, I was researching BIN numbers and even I looked at it from some type of fraud going on. Right, me too. I mean, we all did. Yeah. But then when I saw that BIN number was actually prepaid card and she said it was changing, It reminded me of the article you and I talked about to the guy who said he was generating Mm -hmm. virtual gift card numbers to place the purchase and use the different gift cards for each transaction. So he would not he would go as undetected Mm -hmm. for some of these fraud screening vendors. And then I started asking questions: Do you see emails? Do you see weird domains? Do you see anything else that they have in common, what's changing. And I think the main piece was the one piece that she actually brought up and I I figured it out, it was bought. So that's that's one way I do it. From the operational standpoint, we of course look at the order level details and we are, are talking, we are looking into some commonalities between orders. Typically they will Use different piece of data for each order. So it's going to be different name, different email, different address, yes. but IP maybe will be the same. So, majority of the information will be different, but one piece of information will remain the same. Now they're getting even more sophisticated. Everything is different. Addresses may be the same, but they will be changing some type of address or reformatting the address in a way that they would potentially avoid rule based systems and mm-hmm. rule velocity rules but they don't know. We don't have velocity rules like that anymore. But they will change the address in really strange way. For example, 123 Main Street, they will do ABC 123 Main Street, mm-hmm. CDG 123 Main Street, or the apartment number will always change for the address that maybe does not even have an apartment. The best address manipulation I saw, which was really funny, but it's a simple change, but I wouldn't have caught it before. It would be one main street, two main streets, three main streets. So that can appear like they're coming from the different area. How are they actually getting that product? I don't know. But it's always that same street with the same apartment number. It's just the street number changing. Mm-hmm. So you just have to look for the common data in these orders. Besides the fact that they're placing up to 120 orders in one minute, that's kind of a first indicator, but it's not the only indicator. Because if you have this huge amount of customers waiting on your site to purchase this limited quantity, item. It is possible that you may have 120 orders in a minute, but do they always have this weird domain? And when I talk about weird domains, it's not Gmail. You know, almost everybody uses Gmail or Hotmail, even AOL, Outlook. But this is like... I don't know, Sarah Pay Shop or uh, sneakersportshop.org or something really strange, which it couldn't. It may as well be valid domain, but I never seen getting hundred orders from sneaker shop, sport, whatever, dot org. So it was right. really strange domain, something that you're not usually seeing, that you're really not seeing all the time. So it was just looking for these commonalities between orders from the information that remains the same. One other thing that I also noticed is if the name on the order is email, maybe Carice, mm. then the next name mm-hmm. will be Carice and email will start with Diana. So you could see the connection between these emails. And I think that's also one way to bypass rule-based systems to kind
0: of change this information. But or then it could also got... be a sign that, that their data they're source for their again. script is not matching as well. Not matching, yes, because it's always match nice when we it. like it. This episode of the Fraudology Podcast is brought to you by SpecTrust. If you haven't yet heard of Spectrust, they're a no-code anti-fraud platform I was recently introduced to at MRC. They scan every user interaction with their fraud defense cloud, allowing Spectrust to automatically detect fraudulent behavior. I mentioned that they're no-code, which means you can get installed up and running within minutes, not needing to wait weeks for your tech team to have bandwidth or paying expensive third-party installers. Even though you can install them in minutes, Spectrust still adheres to the highest industry standards, including SOC2, GDPR, and CCPA. If you want to learn a little bit more, I'll be talking with their founders right here on Fraudology soon. Or you can take advantage of an exclusive offer for Fraudology listeners on their website at Spec, that's S-P-E-C-Trust.com forward slash Fraudology.
1: We like that. Sometimes we see it match. Sometimes I don't see it match. So it could be all kinds of different things. But yes, it's just you're looking for these commonalities between orders. They're placed really fast, up to 120, I think, orders Mm -hmm. per minute. Addresses have always this weird manipulation. They're changing apartment numbers. Names could remain the same. Mm -hmm. It could be all different information using proxy, of course. So it's just connecting a lot of these dots and just kind of understanding
0: how that behavior looks on the area, on your end. I, I think that's great. And there's obviously things on the prevention side that we'll not be sharing on this public platform. And as well as a few other indicators that I know you've been able to find that there are some things we just don't want to give away, so to speak, to, to the people using bots. But those are all very really good information. And those are things also that when you've sent a few YouTube videos out to myself and other people that I'll be making sure in the show notes for today's episode so people can check them out. And that's been really interesting as well as to see a lot of the people who are creating these script, it's really a scripted attack, right? We call them bots for yeah. shorthand, but they're creating these scripted attacks that they're showing it off or they're or they're advertising their service for their their bot and why it's better than others. And you mentioned the Atlantic article from earlier. I think it was, I think it was in the fall, because I think that was when I was in New York for my speaking engagement when I sent it to you. And the Guy was bragging and named several companies that he could target and let's just clear it up right now. We know for a fact that he, could not target the one that you work for. So there's that, but a lot could have targeted; them target like to
1: he probably wouldn't get too much yes, out of it.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. He, tar- he may have targeted you all he wanted, but he probably didn't get very many shoes, If any waste their time and waste their money, which is really our, our biggest goal. So there's, they're advertising it and they're posting what makes their bots or what that makes their scripted attacks better than others. And so you've done a really good job of studying those to know what's on the forefront. Similar to what I do with and fraud and other pieces as well. And you keyed in on the fact, like you mentioned, that they're using virtual cards or prepaid cards where they can mm. continually generate numbers. And that doesn't mean that they're generating numbers that don't exist and they're stealing someone else's payment method. It usually means that they have hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of virtual cards they've already generated and they're adding that to the script so that there isn't one common credit card. There might be a common funding source for all of those virtual cards, but you as the merchant wouldn't have visibility into that. That would be with the issuing bank of those virtual cards. Yes.
1: And I think the change of those virtual gift cards also goes back to the velocity. I think Mm. they obviously know how the rule-based system works and how velocity rules work. So they're probably just trying to make sure that they bypass those rules. Also, if you're using credit cards, I mean, there is a certain amount of authorizations you can actually do on your credit card before your right. credit card says, hmm, what's going on? <laughs> or before you time that out. So I, I think that's probably their way of making sure that they get enough product, but they don't raise any flags
0: with us or with their bank as well. So this leads you to ask, do you see a lot of chargebacks associated because we mentioned that we talked about it, it looks like a fraud ring, but we've pretty much both said it's not, but are you seeing chargebacks associated with these?
1: No, actually, not that many. Every once in a while we'll see some fraud chargebacks. If we do any claim if we do see any claims, it's mostly non-fraud claims or claims that may come, through our internal item not received process. Mm. But fraud chargebacks really not so much, but there is a reason for that. These are resellers. They don't wanna get on your radar. They know right. this is going to raise flag. They know the fraud chargeback may potentially get you restricted from any future transactions. So I think they're being very careful about flying under the radar and making sure they don't come up. And that we don't restrict them. So really not so many, but again, that doesn't mean that there is no risk, as we know in refunding fraud, only because we can't quantify this and only because it doesn't appear as a charge, but it doesn't mean it's not a risk.
0: And it also does not mean it's not a loss. 100%. And I feel like that's something I've been saying a lot on my solo episodes recently is I'm not as concerned about payment fraud. And I know a lot of the retailers that are on top of things aren't as concerned about payment fraud as they are non-payment fraud, because there are risks, not just to the bottom line, but to the reputational risk with your customers. So on that note, there could be an argument made that if they're if it doesn't turn into a chargeback, what's the harm, right? A sale is a sale. You have a certain quantity of sneakers in this drop. And if you sell out of them and they're not going to have chargebacks, why does it matter?
1: And As we said, only because it's not going to come back as a chargeback, it doesn't mean it's not going to come back as some sort of loss for you. Mm -hmm. But first thing, I'm not an expert on bot detection at the front end, and I know I already said that to you. I just know enough to be dangerous, I guess. Uh, But I I tried to explain this to our LP team once quite some time ago. Imagine having a store with a capacity of 500, and you come in in the morning to open the door, and there's 10,000 people waiting to come in. Just think about the risks of letting all of those people in at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's your infrastructure risk. It creates instability. It, it's a risk that you may not recognize. The true fraudsters, because there is 10,000 people in this small space trying to get the product and all other risks that you can associate with having so many people in one place buying this item at one time. But that's more that's something that front-end handles throughout fraud detection and some other ways. But for us, speed of checkup. If you have customer who is making an, or if you have a fraudster who is making one order and then two and then three, in manual way, it gives you time to detect that suspicious activity and stop it. If you have bad bot user who places hundred and twenty fraudulent orders in a one minute. One small miss can cost you a lot if you get those 100 broad chargebacks back. That would be one reason. The other reason INRs, some of these resellers do come from different areas. They are shipping to some of those right forward shipping warehouse addresses, and it's not a rare situation that those orders get lost. So there is a chance of INR being claimed, which again, that's a huge loss. But then to me, also very important is this reputational loss. Like you mentioned, reputation is on the line and we always say it's a lot harder to recover than financial loss. Financial loss is recoverable, let's say, but reputational, not so much. We have our loyalty program. We have a lot of good customers in our loyalty program. We want to make sure that our good customers Get the chance to buy this product, that they don't have to go to reseller and buy it ten times the price, but they have the equal chance of getting this product as anyone else. So we are working to make sure that the opportunities for our good customers there and the customer experience is satisfied during these events. So many different reasons, but like I said, if you are looking just to quantify this loss, you may not be able to unless you're specifically pulling this data because there is no chargeback. But still, losses can happen in many different ways. And just because of the speed of checkout and the amount of orders that can get through in a short period of time, the risk is much, much higher.
0: Absolutely. And I think if we think about this in real world examples, we've seen headlines of, in a lot of cases, they're merchants and and friends that we know. So that's one reason we don't, we don't talk about it. There was actually a situation that just happened on yesterday's retailer call where I was like, I just wanted, I was going to send you guys a sympathy card because I know I noticed a headline or two about bots impacting your customers and that there's all the social media issues over the weekend about your good customers, not being able to get the item that they wanted so that it, it happens a lot. And I think for companies that do you feel like they have to quantify a loss or do you have to explain things to leadership? Which This actually goes hand in hand with our last conversation about finding ways to help leadership care about this. It's to show, look, we don't want to be the next this company, that company, the other company where their users are all on Twitter or Instagram complaining about not being able to get the drop or the launch or whatever it is, I think that is huge, and it also, I think, on the flip side, by giving your customers the opportunity to purchase those special events, it builds brand loyalty. And I'd be willing to to bet what I, I'm sure you've done this because you, my friend, are very similar to me, where you love to slice and dice and dive into the data in every way possible, but looking at the lifetime value of customers who are able to purchase those special edition Jordans or Yeezys or whatever they are, that they're able to, they're like, wow, I couldn't get this from any other company that had this launch, but I got it through finish line. That is going to increase their lifetime value.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And like I said, customer experience is always our number one priority. We want to make sure that our loyal customers and our good customers do get that chance of getting this product rather than going and paying it
0: 10 times the price, 20 times right. the price. and Or not being able to pay. Or not being or able to get it at all times yes. the price. I mean, that's a big reality too. Well, and back to, oh, go ahead.
1: I, I just want to say, I'm not sure if this was on one of our calls, our retailer calls, or I heard it somewhere else, but we're just trying to keep us out of the news. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Bad news, let's say, out of social media sites. So I think usually if companies show up at social in social media, it's usually not good. So we are making sure we stay out of the
0: news. Yeah, I think that that's something that's often lost on PR departments and marketing departments is our commitment to try to do that. It's not just on bots; it's on a lot of things. There are a lot of things that the fraud department or the revenue recovery department or whatever you call it that they or I think it was revenue retention or anyway, I've come up with a few different terms for fraud departments profit, recently for profit companies. protection. Profit protection. Yeah, that's another one. I have like a short list for some of my clients these days when they're like, we want to change the focus of our company because it's not just about preventing fraud, but or of our department, but also it's almost like a PR campaign internally in your company when you change the name of the brand or the team in the department. But back to what you were saying about Like relying on rule-based and velocity, that is another way, not relying on those things and having dynamic machine learning that adapts to things without setting thresholds and rules is another way to ensure customer satisfaction and customer experience. Because they're not bumping into these rules that don't really apply to them, right? If they're a customer that has got a bonus and they are gonna spend over a thousand dollars and there was a rule that was set, anything over a thousand dollars is risky, well, now they're going to have their order reviewed. Whereas if you have dynamic machine learning, that's continually learning with your customers, they'll say, well, if that's the only risk factor, we're going to let this through. Cause that's not a risk factor compared to oh, everything yeah. else, right? The customer history, they logged in from the same device, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I, I see that as a way of improving customer satisfaction, as well as keeping bad actors out.
1: Yes. And I think I mentioned before, it's revenue growth with minimal friction and minimal risk. So minimal friction is number two for a reason. You want to make sure that there is as little friction as possible for your good customer to make sure that they get the product. So it is very important for us to use this machine learning model. And we are partnering with our machine, with our fraud screening provider to create policy abuse screening that actually screens through some of these orders and makes decision on them. It's a lot easier for us to identify continuous learning for them, for us, for the entire organization. But like I said, we set up all of our processes in a way that we contribute to this overall growth first we do not create friction or it's a minimal friction possible and then that we do minimize the risk. So going back to your marketing teams and uh, growth teams, I think that's already stepping into loyalty uh, fraud and loyalty abuse. We're not going to talk about that, but it is very important to show them that what you do is actually aligning with their goals as well. We're just trying to do it in the safest way possible mm-hmm. because I always say it's not just important to be first. It's important to be fast. It's important to be accurate, but
0: it's also very important to be safe. Oh, that is a tagline. I mean... (laughs) There's your your fraud fighter tagline. Uh, And And I I will say, right. Well, and I will say that you walk the walk where you mentioned at the very beginning that one of the reasons why you even saw the bot was your KPIs and looking at that and just how much you care about approval rate. And that is so important. And I know that you have found a lot of anomalies and a lot of things, whether it's fraud that's going to lead to a direct financial loss through a chargeback or additional policy abuse that has other ramifications on the business that you've you've been able to find because you are looking so closely at approval rate. How many orders are we approving without causing any friction?
1: Correct. Correct. And that's how we were able to identify these key risk indicators and decline rate being one of the risk Mm -hmm. indicators, which uh, we created an alert and a flag that triggers every time there is a spike in decline rate. So going back to that August of 2017, Mm -hmm. the flag would go off all the time during these events and it made us look at it. There is a common thing that happens at every event. So we just wanted to do a little bit more research, but I think I mentioned it in one of calls with you before as well. Fraud is not about discrepancies. It's it's about trends, at least when you look at the high level. So what is the trend I'm seeing in each of these events? Or what is the trend I'm seeing in the spike of decline rate? What else is it aligned to? So it aligned with launch events in our case. So it's just, for me, it's very important to identify any type of gap in your Life cycle of your transaction in the customer journey on your site and try to close that gap in any way you can. Again, everything is done with the focus on that approval rate because that's our goal, of course. But
0: you have to keep an eye on the risk as well. That's what we're here for. Right. Too often, I keep saying companies, but I mean fraud departments are looking at chargebacks and and only chargebacks. When I did a fraud operation survey back in 2018, it was we were talking about, well, what are the what are the risks? What are the KPIs that you're looking at? What is the main indicator that you're looking at for the performance and the health of your fraud department. And so many of them were just based on chargebacks. And if you're just basing it on the losses and not how much is coming in, you're going to lose sight. You're also going to have significant false positives. And oftentimes those same people that said in the first part of the survey that they primarily were uh, grading the performance of their fraud department on chargebacks, we're also the same people when we asked what is the biggest pain point you have? What is one of your biggest pain points that you have? Or what? what is a topic that you want to learn more about, et cetera? it was false positives. It's like, yes. well, you can't have both. You both. can't, you can't be grading your company just on chargebacks and say, but we also have to, but we're declining too many. Well, of course you are. That's why, that's why yeah. your chargeback raises so low. <laughs> right, right. That's how you and I get along so well. Cause we just go straight to root cause so quickly because we know that that's, that's the most important thing. So another question I was going to ask, and this is specific to the sneaker industry. However, every vertical within retail has some form of reselling, whether it's like third party sites. And there are some great ones. We know people that work at a couple of them, but I know that those have also impacted the, they've impacted the popularity of these sneaker bots. How are you seeing those impact how are you seeing the impact of second or two-sided marketplaces that are focused on sneakers or collectibles rather than a general two-sided marketplace like eBay that's been around so much longer? How do you see those impact the number of of bots or the or the or or does it at all? I mean, maybe it doesn't.
1: Uh, to be honest with you, I never I never try to do analysis around it or I never try to do so much research around it because I tend to go. In the wrong path when I do the research, or I, I tend to go mm. too far in some path when I do the research. So I would probably freak myself out completely about it if I did. But uh, of course, making it easier to resell and making it possible for everyone to resell is going to drive everyone to want to buy the item mm-hmm. and resell, regardless if it's sneakers or if it's any other item that is high. or electronics. Oh, yeah, or, yeah
0: and- totally. So
1: it's just making it easy and making it very accessible to everyone to do it. And I'm not sure if some marketplaces have much more security about who is reselling and where they are getting these products from. Some do not. So mm-hmm. I think the ones that do not have that much security around who are the lighting sellers on their site is what's driving these negative behavior on, on our end. But I also think 2020 was probably, we've, that's when we've seen a spike, an increase in these bots everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think that's when some other gaming industry has seen it. Some other electronic companies have seen it because everybody wanted a product they can resell. I think everybody saw the opportunity to purchase. Everybody saw the opportunity to make some money and some people were making High amounts of money doing this. I also think what I also see is before holidays, I see a lot of bot user coming to the sites, not just ours, any site, and kind of stocking up on products that they can sell during the holidays. And now mm-hmm. this year, with the supply chain crisis, everybody was trying to get as many products as they can. And this is where I see the change in the bot behavior, not just that they are now targeting high um low quantity, high hot item, as we call them. Mm-hmm. They are now, targeting anything that they can get. Now I see bot activity outside of these events. We see them coming through and buying something that I would never think they would buy, hats, head warmers. But that's kind of aligned with the fact that holidays are coming. There is a supply chain crisis. Everybody just wants to get any items that they can. But to go back to your questions, like I said, I haven't done too much research just because I'm afraid to. (laughs) Yeah, no. Oh, I, don't and I don't want to know. I don't want. I don't want to know. The thing is, when I start doing analysis on something, I can't stop until I go all the way and I find everything that I feel I should find. So, but but the truth is, it's easier. It's accessible to everyone. It's just easier to sell some sites, like I said, to check where the item came from uh, if they're selling it for much lower price or much higher price. That can be an indicator of true fraud activity, but how many people are actually looking for those users. So it's just made it a little bit more difficult for us and a lot easier for resellers to do it.
0: Keeps you on your toes. Well, you know, so... Have you seen, how have you seen them adapt? I mean, you you mentioned it a little bit that it really exploded in 2020. And I had kind of forgotten about a lot of people wanting to find an additional source of income or revenue in reselling items in the beginning of 2020. And that's really when we saw refund fraud skyrocket as well, is how can we get something for next to nothing and or for nothing and then resell it? How... Have you seen these scripted attacks or sneaker bots adapt and innovate over the last few years? What are some of the the things that maybe in 2019 you weren't concerned about or attributes that really weren't as big of a deal as they are now in this realm?
1: I think they used to be, of course, less sophisticated, more simple. They were easier to identify if you were looking for them. I did think the problem is we were not looking for them. That's Mm. why we were missing them. But it was much more simple. Like I mentioned earlier, they would come through with all same information. And I would just think it's one user. I would think it's a fraud attack or I would think it's just one person continuously going over and over again buying this item. So they used all the same information. Now, suddenly, they are coming and using all the different information. Now, there is no way you can make a connection between two orders, but it is one same user. They're changing IP addresses. They're changing all of this information on there. They're also, we watch them. I know they watch us. I know they're living on our sites, they're living in our apps, they are getting as much information as they can, but they should know we're watching them too. We mm-hmm. we live on Twitter sites too. We watch <laughs> some of these bots, putting the photographs of, of the successes in some stores, and we try to learn how to do it. And, and they're hiring, they're hiring developers. <sighs> yeah. They're hiring people to make this better, more sophisticated MIT and Stanford
0: grads.
1: Yeah. yeah. It so, I mean, this is what we're fighting. This is what we're up against. And then in the past, I don't think they could bypass recapture. Recapture now is the joke to them. I, mm. I know from some of the research I've done, they're recording hours and hours of human behavior, mouse movement, clicks, and so on. So they can mimic that behavior during the attack. So this is all just getting too far for us. And I do feel in this particular aspect, like we're catching up, but I think mm-hmm. we're catching up pretty quickly. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, you really have done a lot of research and you have multiple layers within your organization for identifying and preventing these specific bots so that if two layers don't identify them, the third and the fourth will and vice versa, both from a technical perspective, as well as an operational perspective in a lot of ways. And so I, that's why I consider you one of the foremost experts because you've not, Absolutely. And honestly, I mean, you're an expert on a lot of things. You mentioned, you know, we're not talking about loyalty and promo code abuse only because this would become a four hour episode because you and I easily (laughs) can talk for two to three hours at a time uh, without even realizing it. But and our significant others, bless them, are OK with it. I think actually they prefer it. So then we don't talk to them about it as much. Maybe. But, <laughs> but you have done a good job at that. But they are continually innovating it is constant. It really is the ultimate cat and mouse game. Whether there's a chargeback at the end or not, they have a vested interest in figuring out how you're identifying them and how you're getting how you're finding them. And you have a vested interest in identifying them prior to basically taking a pair of shoes from a good customer away is essentially what it is right there's a limited there's a finite number of the sneakers that are about to be launched so there are so many people that want them and you're trying to ensure that people who have worked hard for not to say that people who run bots don't work hard for their money but people who work hard who are just going on their computer and doing it, or maybe they have their phone open and their computer and one other device, but they're actually going through the steps that they get a chance.
1: Now that you mentioned people who are uh, using bots are not working hard. Yeah. You said they are working hard. Yes, they are. Because we can see some, we call them good users. Mm, That's what I was going to ask you about. Yep. Some good customers that were maybe forced to use bots. Now anyone can use bots. Now you don't have to be like the super expert. You can just buy right. it and use it yourself. But we've seen, I've seen good customers attempt to use bots to obtain this item because they had to. And this yeah, is what we're trying to avoid. They felt like they had we, to, right? Exactly. And this is what we were, we are trying to avoid. We, we don't want to put our good customer in a position where they would have to do this in order to obtain a pair of shoes. But on the other hand, I've seen some chargebacks come from these good customers because they don't know how to use bot. And instead of buying one pair of shoes, they bought hundreds. And then they called their bank and claimed fraud because they think that bot user or whoever sold them this bot actually used their credit card information and charged another 10 no or another hundred no you charged another hundred because you didn't put the limit on there oh, and no. uh, so I, this was quite some time ago but I've seen a lot of customers some of them calling in and claiming somebody used my credit card no they didn't you actually did right. um, but but right now like we said, everybody can use it. And, and mm-hmm. good customers, they didn't know how, so they maybe created more problems for themselves than they should. But or it's they're becoming... easier to
0: recognize, I imagine, as well, because they're, they don't <laughs> yes. know how to work around.
1: Yes, yes. And it was just funny. I talked to this one person who claimed that he just... Clicked it once. I'm like, that's all it takes. You just clicked it once, but
0: <laughs> I've seen it hundred times. Because he clicked on the bot once, but the bot just yeah. kept going and going and yes. ordering and ordering, <laughs> and next thing he knows, he has 192 pairs of sneakers coming his way, and he doesn't yeah. have his bank is flagging it for fraud. And you're just like, we're just, our system is built to do, you know, yeah.
1: Credit card was was maxed out and I'm on a call with the bank and I'm telling them, okay, we'll take care of it. We'll issue a refund. We'll keep them from going out, but it's not fraud. This is what it was used. We had to Mm -hmm. prove to the bank and we jumped through a million hoops to prove to the bank that this customer is actually a good customer of ours. We see them in the system. We have the history of this customer who is actually very good and loyal customer, they just didn't know how to use this particular bot and then created multiple charges, maxed out their credit card, raised all kinds of alerts on the banking side on our
0: side. It was, it was funny. It's funny, but it's not, but right. it's not funny. Because you know, this person's like, what happened? Well, you know, sometimes it worked too well. Uh, and that is what happens when the average user tries to use something that they don't know how to, they don't exactly know how to give a computer a command because they're not used to that. And so they may just, forget how important it is to say once there's one successful order or two successful orders stop (laughs) you need to give it a command of when to stop
1: (laughs) correct and we really don't want to have our good users in a position where they would have to do this in order to get you so we are trying to make sure we do everything we can to provide kind of clear path for
0: them yeah. And additionally, I mean, just thinking of that use case and, and thinking it out one or two steps further, that also then reserved a hundred and whatever number of sneakers so that that number of people couldn't get them either. And so Correct. then it's a And I know that you have rails in place for that and may and do an extra drop or an extra release or things like that afterwards and, and all of that, but still it's an inconvenience. It's It's an impact on your infrastructure, as you mentioned before, it's it's a lot of people running around going, what's going on? And really, at the end of the day, you guys only got the profit of one pair of sneakers. And how much time did you have to spend? All of that? that work was done. And
1: yeah. I've not called it time that customers spend on the phone with us, time mm-hmm. that they spend on the phone with bank. We spend time on the, right. on the phone with the bank. There are, There's costs associated with returning, with refunding, all of this. So Shipping, it, Yeah it's it's a lot it takes a lot of time to complete all of this and there is definitely cost associated with this which is not cost that we would calculate into an actual loss right just an operational cost and that's how Mm -hmm. a lot of these risks and abuse gets hidden within these operational costs Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't really be able to quantify what it is but it's definitely causing problems
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's the cost of that is taking away from other things. But it also is a really good reason for the argument of identifying and preventing them in the first place from even getting into your system, right? By using your original analogy of letting 10,000 people into a physical store, you're instead allowing a group in at a time that you're able to monitor and identify. And that way, you're able to prevent those problems from happening. But to your point, it's really hard to quantify things that we prevent, but we know that the opposite side of that is customer headaches and Correct. issues and their calls and their frustrations. And oftentimes they're not going to blame themselves. They're going to blame your company. They're
1: going to blame us. And that's yes. when we get into social media and to news. And yes.
0: Posts on Instagram, Facebook. or Yeah. And customers and- feel like it is a retailer's job to... Uh, to protect, to be protected against scripted attacks and bots so that they can order those. Absolutely. So, you know, we just have two more questions and then you and I are going to Go about the rest of our day, but and let everyone else do that as well. But often, a security team will work on the technical side of trying to keep bots out of your system. But with how good they've gotten at evading technical bot detection, what are some ways that fraud fighters and trust and safety teams can prevent bots and these these specific types of scripted attacks? So we know there are lots of other scripted attacks, from ATO to OTP to all different types. But for these that are specifically targeting High demand, limited supply items. What do you recommend that they do to, you know, outside of, sorry, I lost my question. To prevent bots from receiving the items that they're attempting to purchase. What are some things that fraud fighters and trust and safety teams can, can yes. do?
1: Yes. And I definitely talk from a fraud perspective and from policy abuse perspective. I think it's first and foremost, you have to align with your business on how do you identify this abuse? It depends on the product you're selling. I mean, specifically for sneakers industry, we have some limits on the specific product, but you need to align with your business. What is the risk? What is the risk appetite? And what is your policy Once you know that, then it's easy for you to identify when that policy is abused. And second, I, I think that this has to be a layered approach. Like you mentioned, layered approach, it has to be because you have to detect bots at the front end with your bot detection solution, which is technical with the recapture and whatever else you want to use at the front end, because that still probably stops high majority of all bots activity. Then once they get down to the order level, that's, it's still huge number, but it's a lot lower than what's actually detected and stopped at the front end. So it has to be a layered approach. You have to have multiple different groups looking at this and multiple different groups and points of that transactions that are reviewed. And gaps are closed. Like I said, for us, we do partner with our fraud screening vendor. We are using those machine learning capabilities to identify abusive behavior. Again, we are not, I am not looking for bots. So if bots are listening to this episode and they think Diana is looking for bots, Diana is not looking for bots. Diana knows what the policy is, and I'm trying to make sure that the policy is not abused. And that's exactly how our machine learning model works with our fraud screening vendor. We are making sure that we identify that abusive behavior. Now that the abusive behavior very closely aligns with bot activity, that's not what I intended, but that's just how it happens.
0: That's a really um, good point. Yeah, you're not not looking for bots in the way that security does, where they're looking specifically for, they're doing bot detection. You are looking for accounts or behavior that is against your company policies. And it just so happens that a really good way to buy (laughs) multiple items that are limited per user is by running a script. (laughs) against one particular. And so those will line up, but you're really looking at the behavior and the intent, not necessarily the method.
1: Correct. Because I feel I will identify more than just bots. They are phone farms. They are customers that are using multiple devices, like the human farms, like Mm -hmm. whatever they call them. There are customers that have three devices and they will attempt to try place three orders. There are customers that have all of their family create an account and try to place an order. I, I know I know someone who actually has their entire family create a loyalty account to get into some of these events. So we are looking for those type of connections as well, because mm-hmm. that way we can discover the true abuse. Right. But like we said, at this point, abuse of our policy very,
0: very closely aligns with the bad behavior. Right. And your policy isn't, you are not allowed to use a scripted you know, method. It's your policy is limit one per customer or two per, or depending on the item, as well as other policies that your company has as well. Correct.
1: Correct. So again, everything is done to make sure that we minimize this abusive behavior, that we
0: give a chance, equal chance to everyone to obtain the item which is exactly as a consumer, what we want and expect. We give brands loyalty. We hope that they will provide loyalty to us as well when they're making decisions. So last question, from what I can tell, these kinds of bots aren't going anywhere. If anything, they're only getting more prolific, targeting more verticals of retail outside of sneaker companies. What are some of the best resources you've found to learn about their tactics and features? And what other suggestions do you have for companies wanting to prevent these from impacting their brand and their customers?
1: It definitely has to be a team effort. Mm -hmm. I mean... As I said earlier, the approach team effort, you definitely have to collaborate with many different parts of your organization. You need to first collaborate with your team that puts these sales on the calendar. You need to know when they are, because if you don't, that kind of makes it difficult to identify it. You need to work with your digital teams, with your bot detection team, with your business to understand what that appetite is. As I said, I don't want to be repetitive, but that's kind of how it is. You need to truly make this cross-department collaboration, which I talk about all the time, but it's just one more proof how valuable that collaboration is. You have to bring in everyone to kind of contribute in their own way to this overall effort of stopping this abuse. And I think for us, it's been very successful using machine learning capabilities to identify this abusive behavior. And I also think that we need to collaborate with our vendors more on this. There is a lot of vendors out there that say they have a way of identifying bots and they don't. And I think this is kind mm. of a theme across every issue the, frauds, the fraud teams are dealing with. We have a lot of misinformation. We have a lot of vendors mm. telling us that they have product that does something when yeah. it does not. So I think we definitely need to collaborate more with vendors and finding the way of catching these and, and finding the way of mitigating this type of risk. I'm just afraid, and I don't want to end it on a negative note here, but I'm afraid the bot users are just getting a bit faster now than we are. And if not getting faster with us on our side, then they're moving on to another side and exploiting those opportunities. So I think there has to be kind of more collaboration and understanding what this truly is, what is the impact, who all can be impacted mm-hmm. and how to mitigate this risk, how to stop, of this abusive behavior.
0: You're absolutely right. And I think that the term bot detection, there are a lot of different types of bots, right? A lot, a lot. And that yeah. is a lot of different ones. Like I said, I mean, there are some that are just creating accounts to exploit uh new account bonuses. There are others that are set up to do atos. We learned about a retailer that set one up to actually do good yeah, to read which was a great idea, but I'll I'll be sharing that another time on another episode because I'll be going in depth on that. But they actually set up a bot themselves to save their company a lot of money. So there's there are also bots for good purposes too. But so identifying the type, you know, that's something you work with your security department to kind of determine the difference between, you know, malicious intent and abuse intent, which both are not good, but you can deal with them in different ways. But just because a company says they have bot detection doesn't mean that they can necessarily detect a sneaker bots or boss, detect. Purchasing bot. Right, purchasing bots. And also, it doesn't mean that they can detect the ones of today. A lot of times, and you and I are, share this a lot, share this frustration to your point of misinformation is just because a company was really good at what they did two years ago, especially with everything that's changed in the last two years, doesn't mean that they have invested in staying on top of fraud today. And yes. so, that is really a frustration of merchants is just be honest. It's not just about the sale for you. This is a big business decision for me, Absolutely. you know? And so, yeah, trying to wade through that can be very frustrating.
1: But now you mentioned there are good bots and there are bots created to good do good things. This yeah. purchasing bot is initially created to do a good thing. Huh. It's created by merchants to run through the purchasing process to identify potential issues and make sure that the purchasing process flows. Oh, I didn't realize that that was the
0: original
1: use. Yeah. I understand that these were created by merchants or these were created for merchants to kind of go quickly through this before you open your site for some type of purchases and and make sure that the process flows as it's supposed to. And then of course, as everything else, it's getting exploited by bad users. And that's what we are here to stop.
0: Well, we'll leave it on that note, Diana. I as always am grateful for you to stop by. And I think if I have my way, you will be a semi-permanent fixture on this podcast because I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy talking with all my guests, but you, you and I have such a shorthand. And also I know how much people can learn from you and how much of a resource you are to other merchants. And so this makes it easier for you as well. The next time somebody asks you about sneaker bots, you can say, well, go listen to this episode so listen of listen to the Carice podcast. <laughs> yeah, the Caris <laughs> podcast. Yes, that's what we'll call it next time. We uh, should. <laughs> nobody else, not everyone <laughs> would recognize that. <laughs> Well, thank you again, as always. I appreciate your time and your expertise and we will talk to you soon. Hey, thank you so much for having
1: me. It's been fun and pleasure as always.
0: With Specs No-Code Platform, you are able to utilize any piece of customer data, create workflows, call out to any API, internal or external, and take action anywhere in the customer journey. See for yourself how Spec's Customer Journey Orchestration Platform can enable you to accelerate your fraud projects. I'll be talking a bit more about them as they're the presenting sponsor of Fraudology this quarter. Or you can click the link in the episode description to request your personal demo of Spec's Platform.